creating things that have a commercial appeal is ultimately the end goal is not just make the work, but to sell the work. And I think that's where some artists get stuck is they're making work just for the sake of making it. And a lot of art schools are not teaching and educating artists to have that focus in mind. They're kind of breeding and cultivating them to work for somebody else, follow these directions, create something like this. But it's not about finding that end customer that's going to buy. It's, it's just create, 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 but not create, sell. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the higher standard. I'm your guy, Chris, and this episode is an interview with a friend and somebody whose art I absolutely love. It is the one and only world-renowned Daniel Alan Cohen. You've probably seen his stuff on Instagram, didn't know it was him. Or for those of you who, uh, you know, followed down the rabbit hole of social media, you found his page, you do know it was him. He creates conceptual art with popular culture references that kind of categorize our society's values, desires, needs, and vices, which, you know, at times kind of intertwine. A lot of them have drug references and money references, and there's just a whole lot there that communicates so much about society. It's deep, it's deep shit. I like his art. I am a collector. I've been gifted one piece. I've bought another. I'm probably going to buy another one sometime soon just because I love what he does. And I'm not the only one. He's collected by a number of famous people, including the Getty Family Private Collection, Gigi Hadid's Private Collection, and many, many, many more. He talks about some of those people in the interview. But his entrepreneurial mindset, there's so many corollaries to successful people that he just said and i know that some people are going to listen to the podcast and be like chris you must be prepping these people to say say the same things over and over again i'm not i'm really not though they're just commonalities in entrepreneurship and it doesn't matter whether you're an artist like daniel or you're a banker like me or you're in whatever industry if you're passionate about things if you're chasing the journey not the destination adversity builds character these common themes are just always there and you could plug and play the different aspects of everyone's story and you can find that the same just veins of, of, of history run through them we talk about nfts in this episode we talk about cryptocurrency we talk about the blockchain we talk about being an artist in today's society what that means talking about being something called an entrepreneur it's really a fascinating look at an industry that we typically don't think of in the context of the business world from an artist, an entrepreneur's mindset. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. This one was a wonderful one. With no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give you 
Daniel Allen Cohen. All right, Daniel Allen Cohen, I appreciate you coming on. By far and away, my favorite artist uh, in the last couple of years uh, since I found you, frankly. I was introduced to you by a mutual friend of ours, Alex, and I'm super excited to have you on the show to really talk about your journey, to talk about your art. I mean, tell us how you got started and, and tell us, you know, really kind of what the ethos is with your brand. Yeah, in 2016, I had uh, dove into this full time and that was my first full year, uh, broke six figures my first year. I was doing art part-time before that from 2013, 2014, 2015, just really building that ramp to allow myself to, to take that leap full-time and, and feel comfortable jumping into the art world. There was definitely some things that were changing in the environment with social media. Is Social media was, uh, you know, with Instagram and Facebook was allowing artists to uh, reach new boundaries and, and like they never had been able to before by not having to go through the traditional model of just breaking into the art world with a gallery representation. So perfect example is, is how we met is through somebody through so, that I met through social media that introduced us and, and like the dominoes just have fallen. And that's really how a lot of artists are thriving today, including myself, is, is through this love-hate relationship that some of us have with Facebook and Instagram and other social media platforms. But um, before that, I was uh, taking you know classes throughout middle school, high school, college, all sorts of art classes, but didn't actually receive a degree uh, for any arts. I don't have a Bachelor of Arts. I actually have a Bachelor of Science degree in communications from Arizona State University. But I think that that degree obviously um, connects really well to my work as it's very focused on like the written language and, and like reading things from a, a written form and not having it be just about the paintbrush or about sculpting things. Although I have uh, created some of those pieces as well in the past. It's fascinating to me to see how I didn't realize the communications thing in your background, but that kind of makes sense based on number one, how you're weaponizing social media and two, how so much of your art really does communicate a message, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's layers to it. You know, the onions always get peeled back and I like to have my, my work have that depth to it, uh, to where it's thought provocative and it's kind of like questioning one's status quo and, uh, you know, there's, there's layers of, of doing that built into the work, but also how it's laid out from a, uh, a visual standpoint. And, you know, some of my works have had videos that come with it that are, are kind of like illustrating the story and, and there's, you know, layers within those. So it's, uh, it's, it's a fun process, uh, to, to not just have it be about paint on the canvas, but having the, you know, the conceptual concepts really kind of like push boundaries and push limits um, in new directions so let me ask you this you know you go from kind of the part-time art thing and then you go full-time you make six figures that first year do you feel like you would made it like like business it validates you or do you feel like there's so much more to prove at that point i mean when do you feel like i'm putting my foot down like this is my career 2016 i knew that i had wanted to make that change into this Obviously, I realized I didn't want to work for somebody else, and I, and I didn't want to be an employee number where I was disposable. I wanted to work for myself. You know, reaching that goal of, of doing six figures in sales, I didn't obviously net that much. I was, you know, there's other bills on top of that, but it was still, you know, an achievement in itself to to have that be my sales for my first year. And uh, but it's all it's it's seeing that it only made me hunger hungrier to achieve more and and like reach another goal and another goal. So. It's, 
I, you know, I'm in the same situation now with, with what I'm doing on a you know, yearly basis sales wise, where I'm always trying to continue to grow in, in an upward trend, but I'm always driven and it's, it's always just trying to get to the, the next milestone, but just kind of like stay humble along the journey as well. It's not about the, the destination. That's, that's one thing that I have always resonated with is that saying it's not about the, uh, the destination. It's about the journey and, and, uh, appreciating the journey along the way. It's funny. I, I say the same thing a lot. And it's funny how many entrepreneurs from different backgrounds have that same visual of success. Like you don't just get there and say that I'm successful. It's like this journey of, so I, I've seen, I know you were in Miami recently and I know the periodic, uh, elements for you that you've, you've been put out have been really, really sensational. I, I own a piece from that collection I know they've been well received because I've seen I see them all over social media. I mean, randomly in the background, you'll see people in photos. How was Miami? How was the reception? Like, you know, how was how was you know all that done? Yeah, this year the piece that I debuted in Miami was the periodic table of addiction, and and that body of work had been around for a couple of years, but this year was the first time that it was displayed in in one large art piece where it was an eight foot wide by four foot high piece. It was shown at uh, you know, one of the best shows in Miami called Art Miami, which competes uh, as far as quality and, and caliber with Art Basel. My gal is from Switzerland. Laurent um, had an amazing booth. The, the, there was just an energy to the show this year that was like no other. You know, I've been showing there since 2016, and I've seen continued growth. And, and obviously, it's been around much longer than that. But there was this sense of crypto basil where there was a little bit of like crypto energy in the air where all the people are coming into town to to go to you know some of these crypto events that were going on but also this roaring 20s aspect where coming out of this lockdown and and uh you know kind of like pandemic that we've been living in it was this moment where people are like let's get out let's go spend some money let's go have some fun and people showed up collectors there was red dots everywhere so I'm grateful for the wins that uh, myself and the other artists uh, that I know had uh, as far as this year. But overall, Art Week Miami won definitely in general and, and grateful for a lot of the collectors that, that pulled up and bought art this year. But I mean, I know there was people there that came out there to go to Art Basel, but they didn't even go to any of the art events. They just went out there to party. But for me... Um, yeah, the periodic table of addiction was really well received, sold out of all three of the tables. And the next piece that'll be debuting in, in February this year in a month is uh, at Art Winwood is the periodic table of Miami. And that will be a part of the first city series where I'll be creating a unique table, the same size, eight foot by four foot. And all 24 elements will be some ones that I've done in the past, a lot of new ones that are really telling the story of what the city is about and not, not in too much of a kitschy way, but you know, some cultural ties, some historical ties, some obviously ties that are connected to my work from uh, drugs and addiction and, and like consumerism. So it's like this, it's a cool blending. I'm excited to release this table and see how it's received. And then obviously try to do New York, Los Angeles, uh, some other destinations. Wow. I didn't know you were going to do a city series that that's, that's going to sell quick. I hope so. I mean, it's it's going to be my first unique piece like this. You know, usually I do things in additions of three to, to allow a couple other collectors. Uh, and and you know, when you do things as one unique, it's you know you're kind of stepping up the price point because there's only one. It's one of a kind. 
When it's three, you can you know bring the price point down a little bit to where it's a little bit more approachable. I mean, I'm saying that with with the context of I'm just still baffled by how much the pieces are selling for. But yeah, there's. I'm excited. It's it's definitely been a challenge, especially with a short deadline getting this piece ready. But you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my team. Shout out to uh, Dan Porter. He's he's someone one of my creative consultants that I uh, connect with, and he's always showing me support and love on this journey. And and just another creative mind that's um, you know elevating some of these pieces from a context and copy perspective. Very cool. So how did the how did the uh, city pieces come about? I mean, so much of your stuff so far has been has been more broad than that to see you dive down into a city, especially, first of all, I think it's brilliant. I think people are going to eat that up, but how did, how did you come up with that? It was very organic. So after we had sold the third periodic table in Miami, my gallery, Laurent, uh, he's from Switzerland. He's like, so what are we going to do for our Winwood now that we sold out of all three of these? And I'm like, uh, give me a second and you know, 15 seconds go by. I'm like, I got it. It's going to be the periodic table of Miami. And, and he loved it. He's like, great, let's go. And it, so it's, it really is the perfect city too, to, to release the first one. I'm looking at the piece right now and you have, you know, the city in itself has so much culture, obviously the history of cocaine and drug smuggling to Cuban culture and Colombian culture to boats and you know, exotic cars, uh, golfing, luxury. There's, there's really like iconic things that, that are very represented by Miami. That's that it's like, it's not even, if you know, you know, it's just, it's just kind of like common sense that, that Miami has these, these things to it. And, and, and same can be said with New York, uh, obviously with the stock market, the hustle and bustle, you know, the lifestyle that, that comes in New York, uh, and, and Los Angeles. So I think those three will roll out afterwards and, um, and some of them will have like some overlap. Uh, some of them will be, kind of like changed but almost all of them will have a lot of nods uh to each city and references that uh people can be familiar with and understand and but i think these pieces will definitely be um as as unique pieces some of my um uh some of my most sought after works in in the future after i'm dead for sure hopefully they end up in a museum one day (laughs) how much time as an artist do you think about that i mean let's be honest we all know that when artists pass away some of their stuff can skyrocket in price but i mean do you think about that a lot i definitely have i I started realizing that like about my second year in my first year in is is a gallerist really was challenging me to elevate my quality and one thing he said is, is is these pieces need to outlive you so the quality has to be there for them to stand the test of time. And once I realized that, I was like, okay, yeah, I need to invest. And it's it's also relative too. Like the more expensive something is, the more it's cherished to kind of like be held by, I, I wouldn't say elites, but by the patrons or the caretakers of the art that are going to hold the value, that are going to possibly have an increase in value. Because if some of the works were, you know, just too affordable, too accessible to some, they might not, you know, be cared after like something that has a higher, higher value. So, yeah, that's, you know, as far as like what, you know, is is my work going to, you know, uh, ideally I'd love for it to be in museums. Is it going to increase in price, you know, after I'm dead? It definitely could. You know, that's definitely, uh, it happens after 
part is pass along is is a, there's an increase uh, because the supply is out, the demand increases at that point. But uh, you know, the future is is definitely unforeseen for sure of what the art market is going to look like, especially as we've entered into this world of digital uh, Web three NFTs. Oh, and I've got so many questions for you about. You were the first artist <laughs> that I talked to that was on like the you were like on the bleeding edge of like your excitement with nfts when it first started and i remember the conversation we had you know in your studio where you were telling me about how crazy it was for you uh, you still feel that passionate about nfts yeah for sure it's definitely an area that i'm really going to go deep in i've had some success already you know not as much as my peers but you know i, I think that i'm just kind of like the turtle in the race like I'll have my time, you know, I'm not trying to, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And some of the projects that I'm looking to launch are not just basic releases. Um, they're, they're large projects that require a team and, and require an army of, of the community to kind of like get behind it. And some of these, I only get one shot at. So it's really boils down to execution, execution, execution. So as far as the future, there's some things that are just kind of like basic today where it's just copycat culture, people are just trying to, uh, you know, make some money and no different than like some of these altcoins that were back in the day. But for some artists that already have like some precedence as an artist, there is an element that the work is kind of like getting cataloged and it's, you know, it's being put on the blockchain. It's for me, I think I, when I was telling you, it was my first opportunity to have, you know, my first works be on on the blockchain and leave like this digital breadcrumb trail you know it's not just seen on instagram or not just seen on my website but it's something that's that has like a actual tangible price that is is scarce and and has a value that's associated with it so it's uh it was exciting and when i got in it wasn't even about the money i wasn't chasing the bag it was you know in 2020 when i did my first drop i was just genuinely excited to to be creating work on the blockchain and have it be be available for collectors and, and those pieces have, have definitely grown in value so it's i'm, I'm grateful for the collectors along the way and, and there'll be more to come for sure so as you as, as an artist i mean do you find that i mean you obviously weren't chasing the money when you started it was, it was chasing the technology and kind of the experience but how do those residuals impact you how does how does that i mean that's got to be good for business right like you you can see how your stuff trades there's a good side and a bad side to it. You know, not everything always trends in the right direction. You know, there's uh, some projects where you they they drop and it's really high, and then all of a sudden it's 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 dropping. So it's it's definitely a thing for collectors to do their research and and be aware of who are they investing in. Is it just a, a NFT project, or is it actually is there an artist behind it? Is there a purpose behind it? Is is like who like just look into it. But yeah, for me before I always looked at myself kind of like a, a stock or like a business as if I was trading. And I always wanted to make sure that I was, I was trading. My stock was trending in the right direction, which was up as far as value and price. So, um, you know, obviously I haven't reached any secondary markets or, uh, I have had one secondary market sale where pieces hit auction, but you know, the controllable things right now is, as an emerging artist is making sure that the prices that I'm setting, the pieces are, are continuing to, to grow. And for some of the periodic table pieces in 2017, they launched at $2,000 each. Right now they're $5,000 each. So there's some definitely some collectors who 
got in early, got a great value. And that's the same thing with the NFTs. The first ones were dropping at 250 and $350. Now those are selling for sometimes five, six K upwards. One of my collectors is asking over a million dollars for a one of one Bitcoin piece, but it's, you know, maybe that'll sell. It might take time, but oh, it for sure will sell to the right buyer. It for <laughs> sure. I mean, let's be honest about where, where the market's going. It's going to sell. Yeah, it's for the right person, but it's there. There's uh, some very cool projects that I want to execute on. Some with this is addictive. Some with my other business, Phoenix Photo, in the photography space. So it just comes down to balancing time management, execution, finding the right team to come in and assist. And and those are goals that I've kind of I've had set last year and saw some of those things come together in, in place last year and, and just kind of carrying them into this year and, and further executing on those things as uh, as I kind of continue to progress. And eventually there'll be a launch uh, for, for some of these projects and, and allow collectors to get in and, and own some pieces of, of some fun projects and, and possibly some games. I mean, I'm passionate about doing games. I'd like to get into the VR space, the augmented reality space. It's, you know, me as an artist, it's always about trying to push boundaries and not stay safe, not stay complacent. Um, you know, some of my work has had its repetitiveness to it, but there is still an evolution to the work within itself. Uh, but, you know, that can be seen in, in a lot of work, a lot of artists is it's, um, you know, when you found something that's unique, that's kind of like proprietary to, to that artist style, it's, it's, uh, it's good to stick with it, but, but also, you know, evolve and innovate at the same time too. So let me ask you this question. So I know that me, when I, you know, I bought a piece that I did from you and I was gifted another, and that's how we met. I found that I personally resonated really well with the piece. And I actually picked something that resonated with me. It was about entrepreneurship. And for me, the idea of selling that because I connect with it so much is very difficult. I would imagine that you, unlike a lot of artists, it doesn't have to be this figurative thing. For a lot of people, they connect directly with the message that you're giving them. That, that's got to slow down secondary market trading for you, right? Because people are really, they, they love what they're buying from you. Yeah, I'm grateful that I have a lot of collectors that are, are holders or diamond. You know, they have diamond hands is like the term in the uh, NFT world. Is is they just they got the hot rocks. They don't want to let it go. And I'm grateful that I have a very loyal collector base that hasn't tried to just buy and then flip. Of course, there's exceptions. I have had some collectors that have had personal reasons, financial issues, where they said, you know, I, I, I'm having some hard times. I need to I need to liquidate. And, and respectfully, I'm, you know, I'm there to try to help to a certain extent. But yeah, there is an emotional connection with my work, especially when it comes to making a commission piece. So some of my work, like uh, the My First Millions, which is when I put a million dollars in a acrylic box and allow collectors to customize the copy and info, which is, looks like the nutritional fact label. But instead of, you know, total fat and calories, it's kind of like laying out the lifestyle that they currently have or the lifestyle and the struggle that they went through to get to their first million. So on those pieces, because it's so personal, it's like a piece that's going to live with a collector forever and possibly get it handed down to their kids. And it's just going to be a generational piece for, for them. It's, but you never know, there could be collectors who, who have pieces that, you know, they flip and you know, it has somebody else's name on the back. So, well, yeah, and I, I wouldn't surprise me at all, particularly if that somebody's name winds up being an important somebody at some point in time too, right? So, yeah. But, you know, so how do you gauge success now? I mean, it's funny, you reference yourself as like an emerging artist. I, I, I mean, I've seen you around for so long at this point that, that it just seems like you're the guy in this space. But so 
I mean, you could look at the rising cost of things. You could look at notoriety. I mean, is there any cocktail of that that's more important to you at this point? I mean, is, is being recognized for the work as important as being paid for the work? I'm not here for the recognition. It's it's not something that I'm driven by or, or after is is uh, I'm making work to leave a legacy and and to leave something. You know, there's a moment in time when in, in 2017 when crypto was just crushing it, and I was questioning is is this path of making art the path that I should really be going down, or should I? pause all of this and focus on putting all of my effort into investing my money into, into crypto. And I said, no, I said, no, it's, I, I could, and I realized, you know, I probably could have been, you know, a crypto millionaire at that time. But for me, I, I have loyalty to the people, even at that time, I think around that same time I had made a $60,000 sale that went to, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, the Ross family, and it was uh, right right when I was turning thirty, and it was this, I was like getting close to hitting rock bottom. So it was this very dramatic time where it was almost hitting low, and then all of a sudden hitting a new a new peak. And when you have those, when you meet those connections, and you and you see the the love that some collectors have, and the price they're willing to pay, I, I can't turn my back on that, even if it means kind of like, you know the carrot that's dangling in front of me is is well you, you could be crypto rich but like i don't know if that's really you know even some people that are the the wealthiest people then they're, they're not you know, they might not have the happiness that i have they might not have the fulfillment that i have so there's there's value to to the journey there's value to the struggle and and ultimately i know i'll get there and i'll and i'll feel more fulfilled and gratified have more gratification with with the path that i'm on i mean i've had a lot of success I'm, I've had a lot of success in the crypto space regardless, but I'm, I'm glad that I stuck to, to this journey. And, and for me, like long-term, it's the leaving the legacy of, of a name as an artist and the work behind has way more value than that artist or that ex artist that became, you know, became wealthy off trading crypto. Like who is there's, there's plenty of those guys who've made, made, a, you know, a name out of themselves or, or had success in crypto, but do they have the same type of uh, legacy that they can leave behind as, as somebody who's creating like physical things that that will uh, outlive them? So, yeah the the journey I'm I'm, I'm happy with and I'm sticking to it and um, I know that you know there, back in the day there wasn't as much uh, success that artists could have as a living artist, but today it's definitely changed. And you look at artists like Alec Monopoly and. Uh, Jeff Coons and Damian Hurst. There's, there's artists that are thriving today, and as as when they're alive, and such when they're dead. That and they're, they're they're celebrities in their own right in in a world where I don't think they would have been, you know, thirty years ago. You would have known Alec Monopoly's work or your work, but they wouldn't have known the face that went behind it. And now social media has empowered that in a lot of ways, which you know now and. I'll be honest with you. One of the, one of the reasons why I think I bought your art was you were authentic and relatable. Like we we chatted it up, and because I could actually have a conversation with you, I was like, oh, I I want to work with you know with Daniel because like I like him. You know, you think that plays into a lot of of the access? Absolutely. It's there's collectors out there that are either buying a you know piece that's under five hundred bucks or a piece that's over fifty thousand dollars. 
the end of the day, that person isn't necessarily just buying the artwork, they're buying into who I am as an artist. And, and when a collector, this has happened multiple times, you know, for example, at LA Art Show uh, a few years ago, which is a, it's a show that happens in Los Angeles. It's one of LA's larger art fairs up until when Freeze uh, Art Fair came into town. Very nice family collector came, saw the piece, had a lot of interest, discovered that I was the artist, got a chance to start talking to them about who I am, my journey, the context of the, the piece. And that, that connection, you know, that moment where they have a story now is, is almost just as much of, of value to them as the actual physical art piece. So when people come over to their house, it's not just this moment of, wow, this is an amazing piece. It's now they can tell that person about who I am as an artist, the story about how they met me at LA Art Show, how I got to come and install the piece and how we had a little celebration moment. And they, they know a little bit more about me rather than, oh, yeah, it's this artist. Uh, I don't know. We got it at this you know flea market and you know I just picked it up. I liked it. You know, it's, it, has, it has like a little starstruck moment for some people. And, and I think that, that definitely carries true. I mean, for some, it's it's not the same, you know. It's some artists can be a little rough around the edges, and that can almost turn some collectors off. So it, it can go both ways. Yeah, I've, I've seen that, and, and I've met a few artists that that I was interested in buying stuff from that were frankly kind of kind of a dick. So we never went that route. But you know, look, I, I get it too. I mean, if if you know you're making something like you got, I, I'm I'm very jealous in some ways of of the artistic stuff that you get to do for a living. I mean. We all talk about chasing your passions. It sounds like you're passionate. Where you know, I'm in I'm in the banking and finance sector. I don't go to work every day with the same level of creativity that I'm sure you do. Not to say that I don't like it, but so let me ask you this: if if money was not involved, and you were, it sounds like the passion for you has always been the art, and it sounds like the other passion, the the crypto world, has found a way to engage itself with the art. I, I think would you would you do this if money were not an issue at all? I mean, would you still chase creating? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, it's, there's something about creating over consuming that I've always valued is, is, um, there's some type of connection there where it's either you're making something or you're, you're on the other end, you're buying something. Yeah. If money wasn't involved, absolutely. Um, ultimately there's, there's a freedom that comes from having success in this space, you know, not kind of like reaching that turning point where you're no longer a starving artist is, is a good place. But I also value those times when I was a starving artist, it makes me feel humble and grateful for the the time that I had to put in, you know, it's, it's kind of like a part of like the initiation process of, uh, of growing. You have to go through those kind of like tough times in order to get, to, to where you're at and also value um, where you've gotten, you know, I guess there's always been a connection between money and art forever. You know, it's, it goes hand in hand throughout history. You know, there's the, some of the wealthiest families back in the day used to be patrons of artists to do, to put artwork in their home, family portraits or scenes. And, but for me, I mean, I, I when I was a kid and, and a lot of the things that I value as an artist is always staying connected to my inner child and, and like fostering that relationship that I have. Because I think that as we grow up, it's something that can easily get lost in a lot of people. It's a turning point for some people where they can reconnect with their inner child is when they actually have children themselves because they all of a sudden are like back to a place where 
there's cartoons and there's freedom and there's imagination and it's so, and I know you can, you can probably connect with that yourself. Oh, a thousand percent. You know, I got my son's just under three and it's, it's weird. I like, we will watch cartoons together. We do all that goofy stuff. We go running down a grass hill the other day and sliding and come back with grass stains. Like you're not going to do that as like a 30 something year old single guy who's trying to impress girls, you know, but as a dad, it takes you back there. And there's something that's so intoxicating about just not giving a shit enough to have fun. Yeah, exactly. So connecting with those free moments and, and that's what art really has uh, the ability to do as a vessel is, is you can sometimes just tap in and get lost in the work that you're creating. And and you have these free moments and that's how it felt as a kid is I wasn't making art for the purpose of, making money off of it. It was, it was just, I want to create and I want to create something, um, in different forms. And so it's, it's good that I still have those values. And, um, ultimately there's things that have changed along the way. You know, this is not just this, uh, free life as, as an artist where I'm just, uh, being reckless. I have two businesses and it's, I have to make sure that, you know, that I'm balancing things and I'm not overspending and it's, there's a lot of variables that come in as you grow or as things grow, sometimes you want to grow. So that might mean a bigger studio. That might mean a bigger place. That might mean um, just expanding, bringing on a larger team. So all those things come with growing pains and there's lessons to definitely be learned. And I've learned a lot of those lessons along the way. Yeah. I'm always happy to kind of share, share and tell those stories of, of what's worked and what's not worked for me to, to help other people out as well. It's funny, the adversity thing, you know, every, every entrepreneur I've talked to, regardless of their profession, has attributed their success to those challenging moments of adversity that built the character to gave them that ability to persevere, particularly the ones that are, I think are truly, they take whatever it is they're doing and they add an entrepreneurial spin to it. And I really see that. I mean, never mind the fact that so much your art does have an entrepreneurial kind of spin or some, some relationship to that, that world, but how difficult do you find it as an artist? Because I know some artists very much struggle with the entrepreneur, the business side. It, it's more of an annoyance. I mean, do you find that to be just as creative or and just as enriching, or do you find it to be kind of like part of part of the business of, of building your brand? So the the entrepreneur side of things is what some artists have and some artists just don't, and uh, it's something that I have, and I think it's just through the experience that I have in, in my background when. I was working in doing marketing and uh, working in retail stores. So understanding the sales side of things and ultimately creating work that has a commercial appeal. Uh, there's, there's times where I've been talking to artists and I'm looking at their work and just straight up, I'm thinking this in my head. I'm like, this piece is depressing as fuck. This is sad to look at. So instead of me saying that as a fucking, as a jerk and telling them that, the way that I've made them realize that is I said, I've asked them, okay, look at this piece. And I want you to describe the way that this piece makes you feel in one word. And, and when they look at it and they're like, it makes me feel kind of uh, sad or fearful or dark or whatever. And I said, okay, now do you think that somebody wants to have that feeling inside their home every single day? No. Okay. Then maybe try to change it up. And so having creating things that have a commercial appeal is ultimately the end goal is not just make the work, but to sell the work. And I think that's where some artists get stuck is they're making work just for the sake of making it. 
and art, a lot of art schools are not teaching and educating artists to have that focus in mind. They're kind of breeding and cultivating them to work for somebody else, follow these directions, create something like this. But it's not about finding that end customer that's going to buy. It's, it's just create, 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 but not create, sell, sell. So that's what's really worked for me and allowed me to thrive. But you know, it's also um, you know adapting and evolving. Like during the pandemic, I realized I should offer things on my online store for under five hundred bucks, and I just knew that was already coming even before. I already had those those ideas and uh, kind of like on certain projects and uh, things already in the works. And it was like this perfect layup for a great twenty twenty because I had things. You know, people had disposable income, they had stimulus money, they had PPP, and they were sitting at home and they were bored. And what did they want? They wanted something that was going to fill their home with laughter, enjoyment, and, and entertain themselves. And when you have that ability to create something like that as an artist, and you can put it out there and people can see it and possibly buy it, then it's, it's a no-brainer for them to want to pick it up and get it and like enjoy it in their home. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. And I did have one last question for you uh, that I thought would be interesting to see what your perspective was on is the first piece of real estate uh, sold as an NFT in Florida at an auction last week. Uh, a company called Proppy did it. And it's interesting because they, they kind of circumvented the real value in the blockchain, which is really ownership by you know titling it differently. But it went to one of the first things that we talked about way, way back in the day was, you know, physical art being associated with an NFT for ownership and titling purposes. Do you think that on a, on a go forward basis that the traditional art that we know and love in the physical world will be associated with an NFT. Do you see those two worlds colliding that way in ownership? Yeah, for sure. It definitely has. I think it will continue. There are a lot of benefits that come from connecting a physical piece of work to an NFT for two ways. There's obviously liquidity in the crypto market that can allow a collector to not put their, you know, traditional fiat money, into that work, but um, use use something like crypto to purchase that piece and and almost foster a trade to where they're not having to pay taxes, they're not having to to actually claim it as as income or as a sale, uh, but just as another asset. So there's that benefits, but then there's the other side of is the perpetual royalties that can come from that. So in the traditional art world. If a piece were to go to auction, one of my periodic table of, of addiction pieces or one of these city series one, you know, goes to auction and, you know, it sells for 600000 I'm not, uh, traditionally, the artist doesn't get a cut of that sale. It's, right, yeah. So it's, it's uh, with the NFTs, smart contract has that royalty built into place to where a artist like myself can get a residual on that, whether it's 5% or 10%. And that's in perpetuity. So the generational money that can come from this for artists or for people in general is, is, is very beneficial. Um, you know, obviously as long as that family has access to that wallet or that account to where the, those, those royalties are going to is, is good. I think that's obviously going to be a problem in the future is, um, is managing that. But yeah, there's there's going to be more integration with that, not just in the art world. You know, it's collectibles. I know that memorabilia will have that in the future as well. Uh, housing, good people that I've been talking to about cars uh, and exotic cars in particular is, is creating these exotic car dealerships where you can buy an, 
digital car NFT and get the physical car NFT with it or a physical car with it. So it's it's going to blend for sure more and more, and, and the utility will continue to rise with ticketing for events, experiences, uh, all sorts of things. I know that it's uh, there's a lot of creative people that are finding ways to utilize the technology of um, NFTs past just artwork, and uh, I think that's exciting for for what um, 2022 and the future holds for sure. Oh, 1000%. And, and even me in, in, in the banking finance sector, as much as, you know, fiat has been the backbone of what we've done for so long, seeing this change and being able to adjust to it, it's just super exciting. It's 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 my own creative outlet. Well, I, we, we're running up against time. I want to be mindful. Um, Daniel, tell them where to find you. Give them every place to go. Obviously, you run several companies. Let's plug it all. Let's put it out there because I think people are interested. Thank you, man. Well, first and foremost, my website is danielallencohen.com uh the online store that i have is thisisaddictive.com on instagram at this is addictive uh, personal is at daniel allen cohen my other photography business is feenies photo that's f-e-e-n-y-s-p-h-o-t-o dot com or at feenies photo and that's pretty much it. Those those are the the three. If if anybody wants to shout out, send me a DM, say what's up, show some support. I'm here. I'm also here to support others as well. So if you have questions, you're welcome to ask. Always willing to take some time to to help out someone along their journey as well. Can't thank you enough, man. I appreciate you. We got to have you back on to talk about how the city pieces went. And I definitely want to talk to you as NFT and art world start to collide. I think. I think it's really going to be an exciting conversation in just maybe six months to a year to see how different things will be. I'm in. Let's do it. So I look forward to connecting then. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.